This episode of Warp Five is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today by visiting squarespace.com and use offer code Trek Nine to save ten percent. And also by TrekFan, where you'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Put your love for Trek into action by visiting trekfan.org and help us move the world one step closer to the Star Trek future. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm/donate to get our new alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course landing, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me today, once again, as she is every single week from that land down under, it's Kate Walsh. Hey, Kate, we're recording in the daytime today for a change. What's happening for you this weekend? Well, this weekend I'm busy celebrating Seven of Nine Day because uh, today, <laughs> the right. day that we're recording, it's the 7th of September and I'm busily trying to finish my crochet Seven of Nine in honour of the occasion. So am I correct that the way that you celebrate Seven of Nine Day is to go out and actually assimilate someone? That That's pretty much it. I, um, I, I did... Uh, <laughs> have a few problems with the assimilation process mind you I was sewing on her assets and I accidentally put them on the back instead of the front it was a bit of a disaster yikes sounds like a transporter accident actually where you're <laughs> it really backwards. was enterprise <laughs> style <laughs> oh with leaves sticking out and branches yeah. sticking out of you as well yeah yeah body parts coming out the wrong sides and things like that <laughs> All right. Well, you know, Kate, last week we talked about the Mako, which were part of season three. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about season three. And, you know, we've talked on here before about the various seasons of Enterprise and what makes each one distinct, because I think more than any other Star Trek series, Enterprise really is, to me, three distinct shows. Seasons one and two, and then season three is its own thing, and then season four is its own thing. And of course, there are threads that run all the way through. But season three is really unique with an enterprise and, and unique within Star Trek in general, being a season-long arc. And of course, it's the Zindi arc. And of course, the, the bad guys of the Zindi arc are set up to be the Zindi themselves. That's why it's called the Zindi arc. But, you know, the real enemy of this story may not have been the Zindi after all, but rather these mysterious beings known as the Sphere Builders. And this is something that I've really been looking forward to talking to you about, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So Sphere Builders, the first time you saw these guys, gals, I'm not quite sure what they are, on the screen, 
What did you think about them? Well, we actually we probably saw maybe five or six different sphere builders throughout the season. Um, there are actually quite a few females, and, and um, though it's not too easy to differentiate them. But exactly. I have to say, first impressions, just physically, is they reminded me of the changelings, really, from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually the first topic I have on my list to talk about, if we want to just go ahead and jump into that. And it's confusing similarities. And not only did they remind me of the founders, they also remind me of the prophets. And they also remind me of the female alien who we see at the end of the Next Generation episode, The Chase, which is the ancient race that seeded the oceans of planets in the galaxy long, long ago and gave birth to all the different species and races that we know now, which was the explanation for why everyone is humanoid and has generally the same body structure. It's interesting because I'm not sure, I, you know, the first couple of seasons I've, I've read that the writers of Enterprise felt a little bit constrained by this very episodic format. And they did try to bring in continuity to the show and have elements carry through. Um, but season three is really where they were allowed to to branch out and explore different ideas and formats, and that's why we ended up with that season-long arc. Uh, and I, I truly believe that, that they came up with quite original concepts, but it's, it is interesting that there are so many similarities and it's not obviously a copy of any one thing. I often uh, have spoken about other particularly movies that, that I, I see represented in Star Trek as well. And the other thing that uh, that they the Sphere Builders reminded me of was uh, in the movie Prometheus and that whole concept mm-hmm. of uh, creators. Well, the, the Trionines view them as creators yeah. for sure. The Zendi, it wasn't clear to me whether the Zendi view them as creators or the Zendi called them the guardians. And the so guardians. after the Zendi homeworld was destroyed... The sphere builders helped the Zindi find habitable planets and find resources so that they could continue their existence. So the Zindi became indebted to the sphere builders, but I'm not clear whether they actually viewed them as being the creators of the world that they know or space. But Mm. the Trionines, I think, definitely do, or at least a particular religious sect religious cult is really how I view them within the Trionines because they do that pilgrimage to Sphere 12 and they believe that the Sphere Builders are reconfiguring space into some sort of paradise that they're going to return Mm. to. Yeah. I think they actually referred to them as the Makers, which is is what got me thinking as, uh, you know, in terms of that comparison with, with something like Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is interesting how, how much the, the sphere builders and, and the concepts around them do tie in with so many other science fiction elements. And as yeah. I said, I don't think it's a deliberate copy. I don't, I don't think uh, someone thought, hey, that, that's a cool idea. Let's twist that a little bit and make it look original. I think it was indeed intended to be quite original, and it is because it does draw on so many different elements. Right. So this is the thing. It, it is an interesting concept, and and I agree with you there. I think that the part that didn't quite work, that created confusion, was not the concept of the Sphere Builders or the writing of the Sphere Builders, but it was the 
creative department coming up with the makeup for the sphere builders. And this happened mm. twice on Enterprise. In season three, there's the problem with the sphere builders looking a lot like the founders. And physically, they look like that. And then they put them in that white, misty area, which makes you think of the prophets from Deep Space yeah. Nine. So that's kind of like a double whammy there where it created visual confusion, I believe, for the viewers, especially the first time through, before you know who they are and what they're doing. When you just see them, my first reaction, the very first time we saw them was, oh, wow, this is kind of interesting. So they're going to bring the founders or the prophets in and they're going to tie them somehow into the story. That's mm -hmm. kind of interesting. And then I realized, no, wait, that's not what they're doing. So why do they look like this? Well, they are trans-dimensional beings as well, which kind well, see, of that's the thing, a bit more right? towards the, the prophets. Yes. The prophets, yes, that's the thing. Then later on at the end of this arc, when they get thrown back to Earth, to the 1940s, to World War II, and that first alien comes out in the Nazi uniform, and he looks like a Riemann. And mm. that episode aired not so long after Nemesis had been in the theater. So the idea of Riemann's was still fairly fresh in the minds of fans. And then you saw him at the end of the episode, and then you went into summer. And all summer long, you're wondering, like, what's a Riemann doing on Earth in World War II? And then, of course, you come back and you find out, well, it's not a Riemann. So I think that at times, the storytelling was harmed by the makeup work. Well, if we think back, you know, we discussed the Sulaban a number of weeks ago, and they were quite unique as a race, and the makeup was really right. unique and interesting. Yeah. I, I can't help but think that it must have been quite challenging at this point in Star Trek's oh, history to definitely. come up with truly unique ideas. Definitely. And I think, you know, as, as we said, as much as there are certainly there were difficulties that came out of the appearance of the Sphere Builders, I think overall when I look at season three and, and the role that they played, I think it, it still has a number of unique elements that add value to the franchise. Uh, I particularly like the exploration of another faction in the Temporal Cold War. Yeah. Uh, and I think it has a lot more meat than what we saw earlier on. It does. And the thing is, tell me what you think about this. The spheres themselves come into play right at the beginning of season three in the second episode, Anomaly. That's where they find Sphere One, which is being used by the Osarian pirates as a base. And that's how they, they, they find out what's causing all these crazy anomalies, or at least they get the first hints. You know, it takes them time to kind of unravel what's going on here and to learn of the scope of the spheres and the fact that there are now to Paul figured there were about 50 spheres in the Delphic Expanse. But then Degra tells them that the Zindi are aware of 78 spheres. And we don't know how many there really are. There could be more than 78, but that's what they mm. actually know. So it took a while to figure all that out. But even though we see the spheres early on in the second episode, it's much later on before we actually hear about the sphere builders or see a sphere builder. And do you feel like they actually had this all outlined from the beginning that there was this faction in the temporal cold war who were the sphere builders who were trying to reconfigure space to be habitable to them so that they could then invade 
Or is it just something that as they were going along, they came up with this idea and then they introduced these other people as opposed to the spheres just being some kind of mysterious element? What do you think? My sense is that they probably had it worked out from, you know, the start of season three. Okay. It it does seem to fit in well and, and it was all about a season long arc, so I think it would have made yeah. sense to have the whole season planned out. Uh I certainly don't think it was an element from the beginning of Enterprise because the show's changed oh, quite no. a bit as, as it went on. Sure. Uh yeah. The the only thing I'd say is that it felt to me like a, I mean, I've watched season three a number of times and we've discussed uh, and with some other people that it, it's actually probably best watched when you watch it quickly and all through you know, right, exactly. as, as fast yeah. as you can. And and I would agree with that completely. Uh, the last time I watched it, it was over a period of time and, and I tend to get lost in it uh, if I do that. I personally think that probably the story wasn't built up as well as it could have been and as yeah. concisely that right. it, it didn't flow too well and and when I so when I do watch the the season slowly there just seems to be all these different elements kind of coming at you and and how yeah. they fit together isn't very clear yeah yeah I agree uh, last time I watched season three I did it over the course of I don't know like three days maybe three or four days. It was really quick. I was watching like seven or eight episodes a day. So however many days that takes, about three and a half days maybe. And it works a lot better if you watch it that way because the kind of detours that you take don't feel as much like a break in the story. Mm. Because even when they do take detours during the season, there are elements in those stories that do tie in to the overall arc. They're not just completely leaving it. Uh, for something else. The reason I ask you about the sphere builders is that I think that the idea of the sphere builders is very interesting and it helps make the temporal cold war make a little bit more sense. But I, I feel like they were introduced too late in the arc for us to really understand their role and what they were doing. And I don't know if that's true because sometimes I think about it and I'm like, okay, am I being honest about that? Or do I just kind of feel that way? And I'm going to rewatch season three again sometime with just the eye for that, for the spheres and the sphere builders and how it all ties in. But what I'm left with at the end of season three generally is a feeling that the sphere builders were thrown in there towards the end as an additional story element to kind of tie together why the Zindi are taking the actions that they're taking to throw one more problem at the Enterprise crew because mm -hmm. you have sphere builders who come onto the Enterprise and try to destroy the ship. And then when the Enterprise succeeds in destroying the Zindi weapon, the sphere builders vanish because they go back to their own dimension. And I just feel a little bit empty and it's something that I find extremely interesting, and therefore I wish there had been more of it during the season. It's interesting that you say that because we, we mentioned briefly before that we tend to think of it as the Zindi arc, not the Sphere mm -hmm. Builders arc. Yeah, and and right. certainly presented, and, and we spoke about this once before again with the Sulaban, that whilst initially I think the Sulaban were meant to be the big villains of, of the series, of it actually yeah. felt more like it was the Zindi. But then when we look at season three and we look at the way that that came, uh, finished up, it's actually the sphere builders again. 
in the same right. way that we we spoke about uh, future guy really being the terrorist or the enemy, not so much the Sulaban because of the motivations and the Sulaban really just being puppets. And it's it's kind of the same here too. But you're right, it did come in very late in the season. I I can't quite imagine. I mean, just coming up with this idea of these mysterious spheres and not really knowing where that's going in a season-long arc is yeah. a little strange to me, but uh, I mean, it's possible. I think that there is a danger of taking too long to, you have mystery that's taking too mm-hmm. long to unravel and you reach a point, and it's, I'm not just talking about Star Trek, just other shows in general where you feel like there's something going on. I mean, one one that comes to mind recently is V, the remake of V. Mm. The remake of V can be very frustrating. Well, first of all, it's not written very well. But on top of that, it's frustrating in that they take too long to explain what the visitor's plan is. Mm. And, you know, Anna keeps going on and on about these little mysterious things, and you never quite know where this is going, what her plan is. And they drag it out so long where I think the audience lost interest. And then the show got canceled, and then they tried to explain it in two episodes, and then it didn't make any sense. And then you're left hanging, you know, at, yeah. at the end of that. And I think there's a danger when you're right of that happening. And I don't think that completely happened here with the spheres. But I think if you take an episode like Chosen Realm, and you move that towards the beginning of season three, maybe put it in the mm. first, you know, five or six episodes. Yeah. Then if you do that, the crew and then you, the audience as well, have a better understanding of who might be behind the spheres. And then you can unravel that as the season goes along. And that way the sphere builders are more a part of the story mm. and don't feel so much like an extra element thrown in at the end because it seemed like it might be an interesting idea. You know, Chosen Realm is the 12th episode of the arc, so it's right in the middle of the arc. Chosen Realm's an interesting episode. It's, it's a great fun episode. to watch. Uh, yeah. And I think it's actually on the last rewatch, one of the episodes that stood out to me because although it has the elements of the sphere builders in there, it also has a feel of being able to be a standalone episode too. And so it's one of those ones that was just a little bit refreshing in the middle of the season. But I think you're right. If we, if we had had that at the start of the season, it would have started to build that mythology around the sphere builders and first to tackle it from almost a magical perspective. And then to say, okay, well, what is it really? You know, and then to look at those sinister motives of the sphere builders. Mm -hmm. And I think that would have been a really interesting way to tell the story. It would have been. Yeah. Because the whole Chosen Realm thing is very interesting to me. You know, Chosen Realm shows the parallel here. And we talked earlier about how there are similarities, but it's not necessarily just lifting something and copying it. But if you take the prophets, which we talked about a lot at the beginning from DS9, and you look at how the Bajorans see the prophets, and the prophets are also this kind of trans-dimensional race that lives outside of space-time. They're they're not the same as the sphere builders. Mm. The sphere builders, to me, feel a little bit more like species 8472 from Voyager. Like, they live in another kind of space, but they do exist in linear time. Well, not only that, but they're they're actually able to look into the future 
and see what's coming, which is why they have the Zindi working to destroy humanity in the first place, because they know that in the 26th century, the Federation will defeat them. But it feels kind of like that to me. But if you look here at the Trionines viewing the sphere builders as creators and guides and viewing the spheres as sacred objects, Mm. it's a lot like the Bajorans viewing the prophets as guides and viewing the orbs as sacred objects as well. It also ties in very nicely with that overarching theme of looking at acts of terrorism, but but kind of coming at it from a a more local perspective, the internal Mm -hmm. mindsets of of people that could be classed as terrorists. So I do like the way that it taps into that as well. Exactly. Yeah. And that's another parallel too, uh, to some things that happen in DS9, but Definitely, you can see it that way, both the Trionines themselves, who are, of course, representing sort of extreme religious factions that we have here on Earth, where, you know, you have, and this is why I said earlier, I view them as more of a religious cult within that society. Mm. I don't necessarily think that all Trionines are extreme in the way that the ones that we see in Chosen Realm are, but they are a group that has taken their beliefs to an extreme level mm. and are you know willing to destroy the enterprise just because they think the enterprise has desecrated a sphere well that's true i uh i think as well one of the other things that that i found really interesting though looking at the sphere builders and the temporal cold war was actually how different it felt looking at it in season one versus looking at the temporal cold war again later in mm-hmm. season three. It had a much more sinister feel when we get to, to season three. And until we really started to look at the sphere builders and who they were in the second half of that season, it uh, it wasn't even clear to me that that's, it was the same storyline. It actually came across as quite different. I think they managed to breathe some new life into it. Uh, it just didn't have a lot of teeth early on. And and it is a good concept. I think it, uh, and obviously the reasons it was introduced were, were more because of the studio and wanting that uh, looking forward perspective, you know, getting ahead of the 24th century. But there was value in it. Uh, and And I do think that season three just made it that little bit more complex, a little bit more interesting. Yeah, it definitely did. Now, you couldn't introduce the sphere builders in season one, of course, because you would. How are you going to come across the spheres, right? If you mm. haven't haven't been there yet. But season one, it felt a little bit more like the temporal cold war was there to facilitate the Sulaban to explain the abilities of the mm. Sulaban more than anything, right? And then, then when you get into season three, you find that no, there's more going on here. Although it's not even clear early on that the Zindi have anything to do with the temporal Cold War, right? It's, I mean, you, you get to the point when you find out that they know that in the future, humanity is going to destroy their homeworld. That's what they've been told by the mm-hmm. Spear Builders. But it is in the latter part of the season where it really ties in. And then, of course, we get into the culmination at the end and the beginning of season four. And it does feel like a real story at that point. There's no no doubt about that. Chris, the other thing I find really interesting about the temporal Cold War storylines, and we see that once again through the Sphere Builders, is how these beings 
from, in this case, another dimension, but who have the ability to look at different timelines, how they have so much power to manipulate uh, people uh, in Enterprise's timeline because they have all of this knowledge that, you know, no one else has access to and they're vulnerable races as well. And so they can so easily tap into those vulnerabilities and tell whatever story they like to meet their ends. And, and they, in this case, they outright lie. I mean, when we, we see the Suliban and Future Guy, never really sure what's being said and how much of it is true and, um, you know, and, and Archer struggles with that as well and uh, Crim and Daniels and, and what he's being told. He never really knows what's what's true and what's not, but we actually get to learn in Sphere Builder's storyline that they have outright lied to the Zindi. You know, it's kind of a parallel, I think, to our own world, really. I mean, if you think about, here we're talking about a conflict between two planets uh, that, well, the Zindi homeworld has already gone, but we're, we have this conflict between the Zindi and the humans. And then it's essentially based on misinformation. And you think about the conflicts here on Earth and how much of it is based on misinformation by governments to mm. to manipulate the populations into getting behind. You know, say you want to invade a country. Well, you know, you feed your population misinformation. And most people don't have the ability to find out if that's true or not. You know, it, I mean, it's not a temporal thing. We don't have to go to the future to find out if it's true, like the Zindi would have to do here. And uh, we don't have crewman Daniels, you know, serving as Secretary of State or anything like that. But yet, <laughs> you know, we're fed misinformation. And that's really exactly what was going on here, where the sphere builders are the source of this misinformation just to manipulate someone to do their own bidding. And even once they kind of start to be called out, they, they eventually have to confide in the reptilians um, you know, and bargain with them and make them offerings still to get their own way. They exploit that greed, the divisions amongst the Zindi Council. In the end, though, it was ultimately their undoing, which is, is also interesting. And, you know, we talk about misinformation and governments. It's Australian Federal Election Day here, so I'm really with you on that one. So, yeah, the, the you know, in the end, I just wish that there had been more Sphere Builders content in Season 3 because I I would like to know more about it. You know, the idea of a race, it's kind of like a long con, right? It's not a long con, it's a long game where they want to invade our space and they want to conquer our space, our dimension. Well, we don't really know why, do we? Is it ever explained exactly why they want our space? I don't think we ever know why. You know, is it because what we can assume is that their space is becoming, their dimension is becoming uninhabitable somehow and they need to move? But they can't just move because they'll die in our space, and so they have to reconfigure it, but it takes a long time. And they they did quantum dating of these spheres and determined that they are at least a thousand years old. You have to assume that the sphere builders have been in the process of reconfiguring our, our space for a thousand years. 
And at this point, it covers 2,000 light years. But we also know that by the 26th century, so just 400 years later, it's going to mm-hmm. cover 50,000 light years. So I don't know if it's kind of like warming up an engine or something and then it takes <laughs> off <laughs> what happens there. But it's it's a really long process, so it must be really, really important to their long-term survival. It doesn't feel like just a case where... It's not like the Dominion wanting to conquer the Alpha Quadrant. You know, the Dominion would have been perfectly happy in the Gamma Quadrant if they had not come into contact with the Federation, with the Klingons, with the Cardassians, the Romulans, and everyone. But we made contact, and so that planted the seeds of conflict. But it's not really the case here. This is like a deliberate process on the part of the Sphere Builders that takes millennia to complete. So I want to know why this process is taking place. And I know it doesn't fit into the story, but it's just as a Star Trek fan, Mm. I want to know why. It would have been fascinating to learn that, as you say, with the process taking that long, that's a really long project to invest in. It's not something I can imagine them doing purely for the sake of invasion. But at the same time, when we look at the temperament of the sphere builders, they don't really come across as a people that there's there's not really a desperation that I sense from them out of a need for survival. They come across as quite malicious. And I think back to the episode um, Harbinger and the test subject there, he, he actually says, when the Zindi destroy Earth, my people will prevail. And that's got a real tone of vicious intent about it yes they obviously they they get driven back into their own realm in the 26th century and they're trying to not stop that but it just had this sense of maliciousness about it right you know, they don't come across as benevolent people no i don't think they're benevolent people i certainly felt like the sphere builders prey on the vulnerable um you know we've got the zindi um, they're the guardians of the Zindi. You've got the reptilians within the Zindi who are power hungry and are on the outer of the council and they tap into that. And then you've got this test subject, whatever his background is certainly feeling like, um, whatever he was desperate for, that he was going yeah. to get that from the... Um, and then you've got the aquatics well. who just like to hang out and swim all day. Yeah, yeah it's a pity that the <laughs> SB builders didn't jump in and help George and Gracie out, but there you go. <laughs> you know how much I love George and Gracie. That. Yeah. Well, why don't we wrap up? Uh, I'm actually surprised that we've been able to talk for more than half an hour about the Sphere Builders because there's not that much information about them in the first place, really. Mm. But they are a very fascinating element of Enterprise to me that, you know, as I have said already, I wish there had been more of them because I'd love to find out more about them. So I wanted to talk about them we have managed to pull more out of it than I thought we would. Do you have any final thoughts about the Sphere Builders? I'm probably on the same page as you, that I really enjoyed uh, learning what we did about them. I wish we could have learned a lot more about them as a race, even in the same way when we don't know heaps about the prophets from Deep Space Nine, but right. their storyline is is fleshed out. And I think that there was more potential for that with the sphere builders as well. And I feel like I say this a lot about Enterprise. You know, we spoke about with the Sulaban and a little bit about the Temporal Cold War and 
and even Mako and, and the possibilities that were there. I really do love the show, but uh, and even season three, the more I watch it, the, the more I enjoy it and, and find a value in it. Uh, but sometimes it, it just leaves me a little wanting for more because there is such good foundation there. Yeah. Well, and a lot of elements, of course, may have played out a little bit more if we had gotten a fifth, sixth, and seventh season of the show. Now, the Sphere Builders wouldn't have played out, of course, because that storyline ended. But the Mako, mm. you know, that could have continued to play out. So, yeah. And they could have revisited the Sulaban, really, because even though Silic's gone and such, the Sulaban is a race. I mean, they didn't all vanish. Mm. So we could have found out a little bit more about them and, you know, what happened to the race after, you know, we saw a lot of them in Detained. We saw a lot of the the problems that they were having as a yeah. species. So, yeah, I'm the same way. It's, um, you know, I mean, one thing we're going to do on the show here, of course, is to talk about the good and the bad or the missed opportunities as well as the things that work really, really well. And uh, that's, it's the fact that we love the show, that we even care about those elements in the first place. So, yeah, Sphere Builders, really interesting idea. And how awesome would it have been if they ultimately had tied in to, if not the prophets or the founders, what if they had turned out to be that woman at the end of the chase? And somehow mm. they really were the makers and they really were responsible for all of us. And they they did that by crossing over long ago somehow our space became uninhabitable to them and now they're trying to come back but they have to they have to prepare the world prepare the galaxy for their return and that's what they were doing that's mm. i don't know i think it's a fascinating idea either that or, or second cousins of the prophets or something oh maybe they have like a family reunion you know that side of the family that you just don't really want to talk about very much right yeah yeah they're like you know could you move your transport pod? You know, I've got to, I've got to go out, and play a little celestial golf. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it is when you have a family reunion. All right, Kate. Well, this has been fun, but you know, it's not the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's some other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek FM, the Orb. Sacrifice of angels. Again, Ducat in his overconfidence. Should we have anybody go after him? No, no, no. Yeah, just let just, him go. Yeah, That's just, right. I mean, we'll destroy him when he gets here. The ready room. Come. But because they had to do this convolution, and they, so they, they don't, I mean, Kirk should have had a reaction to that being Khan. And, and, and when he says the name Khan, that should mean, he didn't say my name is, is Noonien, you know, he said Khan. And and you would at least have a thing in your mind going, oh, genetically enhanced Khan, this has got to be the Khan. To the journey! The fight. I'll never forgive you listeners for putting me through watching that again. <laughs> Although this episode did give us the line, was your opponent firing some type of energy weapon at you? And then Chokote goes, just his gloves. Commentary, Trek stars. Richard Matheson recap. And my favorite chapter in the Matheson life is when he was hired by Rod Serling to work on The Twilight Zone, the first season of The Twilight Zone, because that is a fantastic moment in history where Rod Serling was creating something that would eventually become an incredibly important artifact of history. Warp 5. The Mako. Well, the employment 
arrangements are actually relative, quite relatively interesting to contemplate. As you, you know, you <laughs> joked about whether they were contractors or not, but as you've stated, they they are outside of Starfleet. Trek news and views. Seven of nine day. She's a, she was a bit overused and. It was a bit ridiculous, some of the things her magical nanoprobes could do, but... Literary treks. Missions end. The question is, do you feel like Section 31 is overused? Everyone wants to use Section 31, and so they just keep popping up in every story, and I think sometimes it does a disservice to the idea of Section 31. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you. And you'll find them in iTunes, on Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom. You can stream, you can download from the website. Many ways for you to get the shows, and you can find links to everything by going to trek.film slash pd for podcast directory. Now, Kate, let's tell everyone where to contact us if they have any thoughts on the Sphere Builders or, you know, anything else they want to talk about regarding Enterprise, you can go to trek.film slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come over to Kate and me by email pretty quickly. Might be Warp 1.7, though, you know, if uh, T'Pol has decided to ram our inbox into something. But that'll come to us. And if you want to talk to other listeners and other members of the Trek FM crew, you can do that on our forums at trek.fm slash forums. There's a section there for Enterprise and one for Warp 5. And then in social media, you'll find us at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And also on Twitter, we tweet about Star Trek all the time under username trek.fm. Now, Kate, you know, when you're not trying to investigate the inside of a sphere, you know, to see if you can steal a memory core or otherwise undermine the plans of the sphere builders where can people find you you can find me on twitter i'm there most days under the username kate is great okay we often get into discussions with enterprise fans or fans of other trek series and um, i know i really enjoy that uh chris chimes in too and uh yeah i can tolerate that but if you want (laughs) to have a chat with me by all means Excellent. Yeah, I chime in from time to time, and, and you're very tolerant mm. of my comments, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm good like that. That's right. Well, yeah, if you want to find me on Twitter, my username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, you'll find me on several other shows. On Sundays, I do Literary Treks with Matthew Rushing, where we talk about Star Trek books and comics. And we do talk about Enterprise on there sometimes. In fact, recently, we did Christopher L. Bennett's new book, Rise of the Federation, A Choice of Futures which is an Enterprise novel, and it's a really great read. So if you haven't read that, go check it out and then drop over by Literary Treks and listen to our discussion about Archer and kind of the early days of Starfleet where they start to merge the Andorians and the Tellarites and the humans all together. It's very interesting. And, of course, the Vulcans. You can't leave the Vulcans out, right, Kate? <laughs> So also on Mondays, I'm with Matthew again on The Orb, where we talk about Deep Space Nine. And then on Tuesdays, I'm on The Ready Room, where I'm joined by hosts from all over the network and special guests as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series, Star Trek news, and various other topics. So check all of those out. If you enjoy listening to Warp 5 or any of the other Trek FM shows for that matter, Please hop along to iTunes and leave us a review or even just a rating. It's very much appreciated. It helps people find the show on iTunes 
and lets us know exactly what you're enjoying so that we can bring you more of that too. Excellent. Yeah, it really helps us out. So we, we love to hear from you on iTunes as well. Also, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsors for this week's show. Your support of our sponsors is very important for making it possible for us to bring Warp 5 to you every week. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, really anything you can imagine. You know, one thing we did with Squarespace is we created Trek FM. Trek FM is built on Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for six years. I have a lot of sites there. I really love the platform and I know you will too. I'd love for you to go try it for free. You can get a 14-day trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up as a Trek FM listener, you can save 10% off your lifetime purchase on your accounts by using offer code TREK9. And if you choose the annual plan, you'll get a free custom domain registration as well. So go check that out, squarespace.com. Use offer code TREK9. And we really thank Squarespace for their support of Warp 5 and Trek FM. Also, please visit trekfan.org. Now, TrekFan is not an ordinary Star Trek fan club. It's a great chance for you to come together with other fans to collaborate and solve puzzles and complete real-life mission objectives. And along the way, you'll be winning some great prizes as well. So put your love for Star Trek into action by going to trekfan.org. And we really thank TrekFan for their support of Warp 5 as well. Now, Kate, I have a question for you. Every week... We remind everyone about Andrew Allen's great album, Smooth Federation, and the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me that we use here on Warp 5. Do you think that the Sphere Builders are into jazz? I think that they probably were in their earlier years. I think that they probably haven't listened to it enough of late because they seem a little bit testy, a little bit worked up. Oh, okay. I would highly that recommend to it. the Sphere Builders if they were here right now that they go and listen to Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. That explains it, yeah. You know, I think what it is, if you remember, when Archer's crew, when they went inside the sphere, which, of course, that didn't work out very well for Corporal Hawkins, but for everyone else, they got in there, they stole the memory core, and alongside it was a copy of Smooth Federation. So I think what happened is that the sphere builders, they locked their copies of Andrew's album inside the spheres, they couldn't listen anymore. So as you say, they got a little bit testy and decided to invade us. Well, it really does make sense that one sacred object would be placed inside another sacred object. <laughs> exactly. That's right. So go check it out. iTunes, Amazon, wherever you get MP3 files, go find Andrew's album, Smooth Federation. And there are nine other jazz covers of Star Trek themes and other music on there. And I know you're going to love that. So go check it out. And lastly, if you would personally like to support Trek FM and what we're doing here on Warp 5 and our other shows, go over to trek.fm slash donate. We have alien badges and art prints there. We have eight different ones right now. They're custom illustrations by Topo Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And you can mix and match. You can choose some badges, some art prints, whatever you like. We have different donation levels that you can make and your contributions make it possible for us to cover the costs of production, storage and bandwidth that's needed to bring Warp 5 to you every week. So we really appreciate your support in helping us bring the shows to you. Go over to trek.fm and get your aliens today. So thanks everyone for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>